everyone. This is Paul Aronowitz, your host for the UC Davis Medicine Department of Internal Medicine Story Slams. And these were recordings of stories told by UC Davis faculty members in the Department of Internal Medicine, as well as by internal medicine residents. Uh, first stories were recorded in May at our first event, and the remainder were done in September, and those will be coming up on upcoming podcast you can listen to. So I hope you enjoy this one. This particular story is told by none other than myself. So I hope you enjoy it and I hope you have lots of good podcasts you can listen to. So it was summer and third year of medical school had arrived and I was assigned to my first clerkship in surgery at the Cleveland VA hospital. The co-student on my team was named Joy, and she had five kids and was just coming back from a year off uh, after having her fifth child. She was a left-wing activist with a very cool spike haircut. The spike haircut was relevant because the junior resident on on the team, an R3 who had just come back from two years in the lab doing benchtop research, called her Spike. Her name, his name was John Morris, and he was um, clinically rusty from his time away, but made up for that rustiness with humor. He could have been a stand-up comedian at any nightclub. He couldn't open his mouth without saying something funny. Even if the surgical attendings were with us on rounds, and that was almost never at the VA, Morris kept the running monologue going no matter how long we were on our feet. So Joy was called Spike, and I was just called Plain Paul, and it was never totally clear to me whether the residents even knew my last name, but that was fine with me. I kind of liked to fly low under the radar anyway. So there was Spike, and there was Morris, the R3, and then there were two interns. One was a brilliant guy from some prestigious medical school in the southeastern United States who was going into neurosurgery. He seemed to know absolutely everything about everything, whether it was medicine, surgery, pediatrics, or astrophysics. His name was Sana Bhatti, and he was also a very funny man with a sense of humor as dry as the desert sand. The second intern was named Dave, and he was the epitome of the conscientious, hardworking surgeon who would throw himself in front of a bus for his patients. He had a wife and two kids, but never saw them due to our 18-hour work days. I've never seen anyone get as excited about a hemorrhoidectomy as Dave got. I could, could never totally understand it. That was probably why I decided not to go into surgery. I figured if I wasn't excited about a hemorrhoidectomy, surgery probably was not the field for me. Finally, there was our leader, the surgical chief resident. His name was Bill Hampton, and he was very tall, and he had a large hooked nose like a bird's beak. I would estimate he was around 6 feet 8 inches, but he might have been taller. You couldn't really tell because he sort of slumped over when he walked, which diminished his height a little bit. He only wore scrubs, ever, and he always had surgical shoe covers on his feet and his surgical scrub cap on his head. He'd always wear the scrub cap like a French beret shifted over to one side of his head or the other. In the four weeks that we worked with him, we never really saw the hair on his head, but it was probably black, judging from the hair on his arms. Bill generally didn't say much to us, or anyone else on the team for that matter. He was a man of few words. But when he was mad at us, the two students, he would lean down from his great height and get very close to our faces and turn his head 
to the side, and even then he wouldn't say much. It was usually a, huh, you did what? (laughs) Or why did you do that? There was almost never a follow-up explanation of what he thought about what we'd done or even a reprimand. After we'd explained ourselves, he'd stand back up from our faces, shake his head with apparent bafflement or perhaps disappointment or just plain disgust. We never really were sure what it was. And he'd wander off down the hallway to the next patient's room. Joey and I called him the Big Bird, but never to his face. (laughs) Big Bird wants us to go pre-op a patient with a hernia that just got admitted, I'd say to Joey. Big Bird thinks we're idiots, Joy would respond. No, he doesn't, I'd tell her. I think he likes us. (laughs) No, he hates us, she'd say. How can you tell? Well, how can you tell he likes us, she'd ask. Joy and I were in charge of the floor patients, more or less, all 35 of them. We put in their IV lines, drew their blood in the mornings, managed their IV fluids, scrubbed and debrided their wounds, and talked to them while the rest of the team was in the OR most of the day and frequently late into the evening. The nurses, keen to the fact that we were on our first clerkship, taught us to hang blood products and told us that students did that too. (laughs) So, of course... We thanked them for teaching us and started hanging the blood products. Tell us when it's done, they'd say, sitting in the lounge smoking their cigarettes. The patients were mostly distributed in large wards, 10 or 20 to a ward. Occasionally, if they were particularly disruptive, they'd get their own room. Some of the other rooms had four to eight patients in a room. It all seemed fine to the patients. They were veterans. They'd been in the military. None of it was out of the ordinary. The more the merrier, they always said. Some of them came from great distances by bus or car or camper and got admitted for an elective surgery. Sometimes they would wait two days and sometimes three or even four weeks. They had their surgeries when there was time. There was one man with cirrhosis who wanted his umbilical hernia repaired. He had a coagulopathy from his liver disease. He was to be Morris's case, and Morris was really nervous about the bleeding, so he sat for weeks before Morris finally took him to the OR. I was in on that case. He bled like crazy, but he got the hernia repaired. One day, a man named Eugene Stoltz appeared on our service. Where'd you get him, Morris asked Big Bird during rounds that evening. ER, Big Bird responded, consult. Anything else you want us to know, Morris asked sarcastically. Mass, in the colon, apple core, needs it out. When, Morris asked, nervously pulling out his long list of pending surgeries to see where they'd have time. Tomorrow, noon, tell the studs to pre-op, now. (laughs) We were the studs. Joy and I, short for student, stud. Such a wealth of information you are, Morris mumbled under his breath as Big Bird wandered off to the medicine wards to see a consult, his scrub cap tilted like a French beret and his shoe covers sliding noiselessly down the hallway. Joy did the pre-op. Afterwards, she found me at the side of a patient's bed where I was scrubbing a wound that was healing by secondary intention after an unfortunate wound infection. The room smelled like anaerobes, and I was in my element. I loved scrubbing wounds. If there had been a specialty in wound scrubbing, I would have gone into it. (laughs) 
You have got to meet Mr. Stoltz, she said happily. He may be the most charming patient I've ever met. He was a door-to-door salesman, but now he's retired. Medical problems, I asked. Not much. Hypertension and manic depressive disorder. He's on lithium for years. In those days, we called bipolar disorder manic depression. How are you going to give him the lithium before and after the surgery if he's NPO, I asked. No idea. Maybe we can ask psychiatry. Later, I went and met Mr. Stoltz. He was, indeed, charming. He looked like an old film star, W.C. Fields. He had a bulbous nose from acne rosacea and a round head and a big paunch of a belly. He quickly became our favorite patient to visit. He was fun to talk with and even more fun to listen to. Later that day, one of our patients who had been waiting for a partial hepatic resection for hepatocellular cancer told me he wanted to go home to die. The cancer was metastatic. He had had enough of the hospital. He was dying, he told me, and he didn't want any surgeon cutting on him when he was dying, he said. Big Bird had been very excited about getting a partial hepatic resection done as that was a big surgery and didn't come the way of a general surgeon very often. I talked with the patient a really long time. Uh, He was sure he didn't want the surgery, and he was sure he wanted to go home to live out his last days. I wrote a long note in his medical chart documenting all this. On rounds that evening, when we got to his bed on the ward, I broke the news to Big Bird. There was silence. Big Bird walked out of the ward, and the team followed. In the hallway, he leaned down very close to my face and tilted his head. His nose was only an inch from my right eyeball. Tell me you did not talk that man out of the resection, he said. I did not talk him out of it. It just was, I responded. Jesus, he said. The stud didn't talk him out of it, Morris chimed in. It wasn't in the cards for you, big guy. (laughs) You know, Big Bird said, not finishing his sentence. Fine, he said. But he didn't say a word the rest of rounds. The next day, Mr. Stoltz had his colectomy. It was colon cancer, as expected. Psychiatry never called us back after a couple pages, so we looked in a 20-year-old textbook. There was no internet back in those days, and the books at the VA were scarce or old or both. And we held his lithium while he was NPO, which was for about a week. Over the next couple days, he became very happy. He would be singing opera when we came in in the room in the morning, something that his five roommates somehow found amusing at 5 o'clock in the morning. They had clearly come to love Mr. Stoltz from the day he arrived. He was both charming and a great storyteller. What's wrong with him, they'd ask Joy or me, depending upon which of us drew the lucky straw to pre-round on him. Oh, he's just happy, she'd answer. He got his cancer out. The happier he got, the happier we got. There was magic in his happiness. This was fun, working 18 hours a day and staying up all night, and he made it even more so. We hadn't done psychiatry yet. We didn't know the old adage about what goes up must come down, or better said, what goes up sometimes crashes when it comes down. We were all, Joy, me, Morris, Big Bird, Sana and Dave, the two interns, and especially Mr. Stoltz's roommate, having the time of our lives, he made us feel so very good about life. 
Then one day, Joy came rushing out of Mr. Stoltz's room. Joy, her spiky hair standing straight up, her stethoscope stuffed awry in her short white coat pocket, said, there's something wrong with Mr. Stoltz. We'd had a few patients die the first two weeks of the rotation. He didn't die, did he, I asked, feeling like my insides were collapsing. No, come with me, she said. Mr. Stoltz was in his bed. He had the sheet pulled up over his head. The only thing visible was his fingers as he clasped his sheet tightly. I tried to pull the sheet down. Go away, he shouted. He was crying, sobbing, actually. I asked him what was wrong, if he was in pain, if we could do anything, but he wouldn't answer me. I tried again to pull the sheet down, but he wouldn't let go. He just kept sobbing. You think this is the depression, part of the manic depressive illness, Joy asked me. I don't know, I responded. Do you think he's septic or something? We had a bunch of patients develop sepsis during the prior two weeks, and we're always on the lookout for it now. Nah, she said, I think he needs his lithium. I'm worried something else is wrong, I said. We'll bring the team by on rounds. We rounded as a team every morning after the uh, early OR cases, but it wasn't until about 11 a.m. that we made it back to Mr. Stoltz's bedside. Joy presented his data, trying to succinctly describe how our patient wouldn't come out from under his bed covers. Morris cut her off about a quarter of the way through her differential diagnosis for failure to come out from under a bed sheet while sobbing. <laughs> Where's the vital spike? Morris asked. He won't let the nurses take them, she answered. Let's go see him, Sana said. The entire team wandered into the room. Hey, one of the vets over in the corner bed called over. What's up with our friend? We all looked over at him but said nothing. Morris leaned in. Mr. Stoltz? He started out quietly, but, when his, uh, but then his voice rose. At the VA, we tended to assume everyone was a little hard of hearing, no matter how old they were. <laughs> Mr. Stoltz, he shouted. What's wrong? He tried to pull down the sheet, but his efforts were in vain. Mr. Stoltz would not let him pull the sheet down. Mr. Stoltz, he shouted even louder, just in case Mr. Stoltz couldn't hear him due to the thickness of the government-issued bedsheet with the VA logo stamped in the middle of it. No response. Total silence. He had stopped sobbing. Joy and I looked across Mr. Stoltz's bed nervously. This was terrible. He'd come into the hospital in relatively good shape, had an uneventful colectomy, and now this. Joy and I felt responsible. Move out of the way, Big Bird said from the back of the crowd around the bed. He leaned down. Mr. Stoltz, he shouted through the sheet. Nothing. Complete silence. All we could see were the tips of his fingers firmly grasping the bed sheet. Mr. Stoltz, he shouted even louder. Stop shouting, Mr. Stoltz shouted back. <laughs> I can hear you. <laughs> Mr. Stoltz, Big Bird shouted again. What? Mr. Stoltz shouted back. Where are you? At the VA hospital, Mr. Stoltz shouted. In what city? Cleveland, Ohio, he responded appropriately. What year is this? Mr. Stoltz shouted the correct answer back. And who am I? Big Bird shouted at the top of his lungs. Nothing, no answer. Mr. Stoltz! What? Who am I? He shouted loudly again. Mr. Stoltz 
peeked out from beneath the sheet that he was holding tightly over his head. Big Bird's face was two inches away from his. Big Bird's nose was less than an inch away from his. They stared at one another. Who am I? Big Bird shouted again. Mr. Stoltz peered up at him, his eyes growing wider. You're God. (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Stoltz simultaneously covered his head back up with the sheet. Big Bird looked up at all of us, stood straight up, or as straight as he got. He looked from me to Joy, back to me, back to Joy, and then directly into Morris's eyes. There's absolutely nothing wrong with this man. (laughs) And wandered out from the room, all of us in tow. Morris doubled over, laughing. The interns patting each other on the back. Joy and I bringing up the rear, as always. Thank you. Thanks for coming, everyone.